The other misconception is it's just for the, the few, the elites. There's only a few people that can do innovation when really innovation can be part of everyone's job inside of every organization. And there is just so much like untapped potential inside of organizations. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organize Chaos. As always, we're taking a page from a different leader's playbook so you can put it in yours as you build your own. And you just heard from Natalie Pancho. This episode's all about breaking down innovation barriers. How can you be more innovative in your business and build it into your culture so that the rest of your team feels the ability to innovate? Natalie is the director of learning at a company called Innosight, which is an experienced strategy and innovation consultant business. I worked with Natalie 15 years ago, which you'll hear me tell the little story of being an intern, kind of a fly on the wall in their consulting operation. I learned so much. So now Natalie has this book, Eat, Sleep, Innovate, How to Make Creativity an Everyday Habit Inside Your Organization. And you can just imagine how nicely this fits into everything that I'm all about. So enjoy the conversation and learn how your business can build more innovation into its culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Organize Chaos. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and today I'm here with an old friend of mine, Natalie Payne Show. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Chris. Good to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you and to dive into your book, Eat, Sleep, Innovate. So we're going to talk about this a lot. But before we go deeper in the book, how can we not go deeper on the fact that we worked together 15 years ago, <laughs> which when I was I was looking up the the math, the dates, and it feels so crazy to be able to say that. That is wild. And, and we don't look any different from that. <laughs> haven't aged at all. So can can you give everyone just a quick intro uh, on Innosite, what Innosite is and what your role is there? Absolutely. Um, so Innosite was co-founded by Clayton Christensen, the late, great Clayton Christensen from the Harvard Business School, um, who really is the guru of disruptive innovation. So co-founded by Clay and Mark Johnson. Um, and Innosite's purpose is um, probably the best way to describe what we do. So it's to empower forward-looking organizations to navigate disruptive change and own the future. Um, so what that means is we help companies work on strategy, building innovation capabilities, and most recently, really focusing on culture as well. And I've been with Innosite, this is my 18th year. 18, crazy. So what what led you personally to Innosite? How did you get there? Yeah, well, kind of my own background, I've always been fascinated by people at work and this idea that we spend like 90,000 plus hours of our lives at work. Um, so how I got to Innosight, I, prior to Innosight, worked to an MIT professor. We helped organizations really think about what's next, um, how to create the next versions of themselves. So what brought me to Innosight was really Clay, Clay's books. Um, just loved learning about um, how organizations think about innovation, how they do create the next versions of themselves. And when I joined Innosight, I was employee number 12 at the time. So that was a time when everybody did everything, which I think will be interesting to you as you think about Trainual and, and the work that you do. Yeah. Wow. So you joined as, as number 12 and now today you're director of learning. Is that right? 
That's right. Yep. Director of learning. And I spend my time between both internal onboarding new employees, um, as well as working with clients, primarily around leadership development and culture. So we could talk for hours about your, between your role and the, the synergies of that and, you know, everything that I do uh, and the book, of course, but I'll just share when I found out about Innosite, so I was in college in the Boston area and I saw this quote by Scott Anthony that was in, I think, Entrepreneur or Fast Guy, it was in one of those magazines and it had just a little quote from him and said, you know, uh, Scott Anthony, uh, Boston-based innovation consulting company. And it, that to me was like, you know, check, 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 like all the boxes. How do I find out who they are and what they do? And so I sent a cold email and somehow got to be a, an intern there. So for, for anyone listening, this was such a transformational experience for me, just getting to be surrounded by these incredible smart people and really just uh, immersed in innovation and, and you know, what is disruptive innovation and how do we solve problems for companies? So I'm sure it's been a, a crazy experience for you over 18 years. Has it changed a lot? Well, first, I mean, that's just so cool to hear. And you, I mean, you created tremendous impact. I don't know if you remember, we worked on some work for the newspaper industry. Yeah, um, the Globe, and, and I remember it, yeah. Create some amazing videos and interview Clay. I remember we went to his office and interviewed him. Yeah, um, and Scott Cook at the time. We, we did some really cool right. interviews. I was pinching myself of like the, the people that I got to just be in a room with, you know, so many of the cool companies that you all worked with. Um, th that was so, amazing. So that, but you're that's right, cool Chris. That even remember. <laughs> oh, I have a good memory. I have a really good memory. But one of the things I think about Innosite is like we just do the good stuff, right? It's all growth. It's all future focus. It's innovation, creating new things that deliver value. Um, and so that's the thing that's kept me there. Um, and also you just get to work with, like you said, all of these amazing companies around the world being invited in. And the beautiful thing about consulting is you just learn so much from your clients. Sometimes you pinch yourself and say, you know, how, how'd I get this lucky? Um, so made a lot of friends, learned a lot, um, and still here. So. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So as we start to dip our toe into the innovation concept, I guess, what is what is the biggest misconception about innovation? When people hear that they should be spending time on innovation, what do you think, where does their mind go that's maybe misguided? Yeah. So I think, and this goes back to Clay's research too, it's conflating innovation with breakthrough, new technology, um, brand new to the world, when it really is um, trying something different that is creating value. As you said earlier, that's solving a problem. The other misconception is it's just for the, the few, the elites, there's only a few people that can do innovation, when really innovation can be part of everyone's job inside of every organization. And there is just so much like untapped potential inside of organizations. Um, so those are the two things that, that come to mind. Yeah, it, it does sound like a uh, a word that people can put on a pedestal and and think, you know, oh, that's only the cutting edge, you know, fancy companies that do that. But really, everyone is innovating all the time or they, or they should be if they're doing it right, if it's part of their culture. So I guess that brings us to the book, Eat, Sleep, 
innovate. I told you before we started recording, I feel that like this is, if I was living correctly, this is all I should probably do. Maybe play with my kids if there is room on the cover <laughs> for, for anything else. But how did the book come about and, uh, and who else, you know, is involved in it for anyone listening? Yes. Um, so the book came about, actually, you mentioned Scott Anthony earlier. Um, so Scott, at the time, I think it was five or six years ago, he was meeting with a big global, I think, logistics company. And the CEO was saying, okay, Scott, you know, I've read your books. We, we understand we've created a separate group to focus on disruption. What about the other 28,000 employees? And it was kind of a question, great question, didn't have the answer to that. Um, and then a couple years later, um, a gentleman called Paul Cobbin, one of the co-authors on the book from DBS Bank, which is the development bank of Singapore, asked Scott the same question. He said, you know, can we create a culture by design, a culture of innovation by design? Mm -hmm. um, so the stars aligned and we start working with Paul. Um, and that's one of the featured case studies in the book. And the book is a collaboration between Scott Anthony, Andy Parker, who's another partner in our Singapore office, uh, and Paul Cobb and myself. So fun story, real, real tan tangential, but, uh, Scott Anthony, he, al he also had another book that was, um, the, the little black book of innovation, I think it was called. He's got and, like seven books, but that is one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I took the headshot photo for him. And so in the back of the book, he gives me a little photo credit for the headshot. And so for years, if you search for my name on Amazon, before I had a book, that's the one that would come up. And so, and so I, I love, I love that. That's that will be tied together forever. You can tell him that. I love um, that. So, uh, so in the book, there's a lot of content about how you can create a culture of innovation. And there were five behaviors to drive successful innovation. So I was thinking we can go through some of those behaviors. Um, Absolutely. So, so can, you, can you start off just sharing what are these? Sure. Yep. And there's a table in there. I can see you flipping to it. <laughs> yep. The, I got it. So we found through our research, through our field work, and the, and the words may be different, but it ultimately comes down to five behaviors that when they're done kind of every day in an organization, that enables this culture of innovation. So the first one, you know, not surprisingly, is curiosity. Do we see people asking questions where they challenge the status quo? They're saying, what if, you know, could we try things differently versus the, that's just the way things have always been done here? The second one is customer obsession or customer centricity. And Chris, you'll remember all the work on jobs to be done, right? So understanding who are our customers, what are the functional, what are the emotional, you know, how do people want to feel and what are the social jobs to be done? How do they want to be perceived by others? And not just to this point that it's only the marketing people understanding the customer, but there truly is this customer obsession throughout the organization. Uh, the third one is collaborative. This idea that innovation really happens at intersections where there are those collisions. And there's a humility to understand that the smartest person in the room is the room itself. Um, so do we see that cross-functional collaboration happening? Um, the fourth one is a, an, uh, a mouthful. <laughs> it's adept in ambiguity. So this idea that, you know, risk isn't a bad word, it's something that can be talked about, that can be managed, um, that there is a practice where people say, gosh, what is the underlying assumption here? What needs to be true? How do we run an experiment to learn about that? And then the last one is my favorite, um, which our client from P&G used to always say, which is, so it's empowered. 
And this idea to do something different, you actually have to do something, right? So do we see people taking initiative? Um, so those are, those are the five. And like I said, the words might look different, but ultimately it kind of comes down to those five. And so do you think that companies should take an inventory of where they stack up on these things? Like if, if someone wants to be more innovative, they want their culture to be more inner innovative. What is the, the assessment, the self-reflection that they do to see where they're at today? Um, so one little plug. So we also have a toolkit through Harvard Business Review that people can get to run like their own little culture sprint. But you're absolutely right. Start with an assessment. We have a free assessment on eatsleepinnovate.com that goes through the five behaviors. Um, the other thing that we work with clients on is just doing what we call a beanstorm. You remember we love acronyms too. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk a little bit about what a bean is or a culture sprint. This idea of saying, let's start with these five behaviors, but then say, what do they really mean in our organization? How do they actually show up? And then work through a process where you say, well, what are the things we do instead? What's holding us back? So that you can then start to put in place um, behavior enablers, artifacts, and nudges to support you with those new behaviors. Okay, so we'll have to dig deep into the the beans and the bean storms because I think that's, that's such a fun little uh, little saying. Um, before we do, you know, building a, a software company, which which is new for me in the last few years, uh, I was blown away by how much of the jobs to be done methodology and uh, fra the phrases are just part of. UX, UI, product management in building software applications. So have you seen this be more, uh, you know, prevalent in, in today's businesses than maybe it was 18 years ago? Definitely. Um, and that's great to hear. Dave Duncan, who just wrote a book on that, will be, will be happy to hear. But absolutely. And I think stepping out also from, you know, like you said, the UX software into lots of different industries, including B2B, um, so definitely something that we see resonates with people and my, and we did this with the newspaper industry too, if you'll remember, but one of the things I've always thought about jobs to be done, it's like an easy concept to get. It's a lot harder to put into practice. Um, and so that's something that we still do a lot of training and capability around kind of building that muscle inside of organizations. Yeah, f for me, I mean, one of the first things I learned were, you know, uh, hearing Clay talk about the the milkshakes and the, you know, the the drills and those those examples still hold up. They're amazing examples today. Mm -hmm. The milkshakes. Uh, okay, on. so yeah. would you say innovation is is a a learned behavior, or are, are there just certain people like uh, you know the the Steve Jobs and and so mm -hmm. on that just have this in their DNA? Well, I love that you mentioned your kids and you talked about, you know, does play fit in there too? Because one of the things is the good news is we're all able to do those five things. We're all born with that innate curiosity, right? To ask questions, to connect with each other. You know, you watch, are you familiar with the, um, the marshmallow challenge, you know, with the spaghetti. Oh, yeah, yeah. The delayed gratification thing. That oh, one? no, different one. So this is the one where oh. they, they ran it with the CEOs and with kindergartners. And you give people, I think it's like 10 strands of spaghetti, a large marshmallow and string. And you say you have to you have however many minutes. It's called the marshmallow challenge to build the tallest tower. But the marshmallow has to be on top. 
And so what you see is when you run this with executives, they kind of jostle for who's in charge and um, they build, you know, these elaborate structures and then they wait until the last minute to put the marshmallow, the whole thing collapses. But you watch five-year-olds do it and they put the marshmallow on top. They do these super creative things with the tape and the string and they, um, they tend to do better than the executives. That's so cool. My, I know my, uh, my son's in first grade and he did some little bridge building thing. It was like, how many popsicle sticks can, you know, with a, a bridge can hold however many pennies. And he won and had like 200 pennies and he's never been more proud than when he came home. <laughs> so, so I, I guess as executives, we should be doing those things at work. Exactly. Right? The, we the, should the, be the, playing more. We should be experimenting. Um, because one of the things is we can, um, you know, we can practice these things and we get into how you do that in the book. But the good news, like I said, is we're all born with this capability. What happens though, inside of organizations, you face a lot of headwinds like, oh, but that's not the way things are done here. Or is this going to hold me back? Um, so there's definitely a lot of what we call blockers inside of organizations, real and perceived, right? Yeah, so so I wanted to ask, and maybe this is a, a blocker question, but what what kind of things are are preventing people from innovating more regularly? Mm -hmm. What what gets in the way? So the first thing you always hear. So when we work with clients and they say we want to build a culture of innovation, and then oh, we don't have time, we don't have the resources. Um, and so what we found is incredibly impactful is when you can say, let's go beyond that because we know that in a, constraints actually lead to innovation, right? Like entrepreneurs know this is because um, it forces you to be creative. Uh, but inside of organizations, what we find is once you get beyond the, oh, we don't have time or resources, you start to get to the underlying things like, oh, okay, we want collaboration. What do we do instead? We defer to the most senior person. We bite our tongue. We stay quiet. Um, we want people to be empowered, um, but we, you know, bombard them with these policies or we don't help them navigate it. So once you can start to get to the, or um, those specific things, like one of my favorite ones is the bank that we worked with in Singapore, DBS. They were saying, oh, okay, we want to have more equal share of voice in meetings, but the conversations are dominated by the hippos, which is the highest paid person's opinion. Um, so once you can kind of, <laughs> don't be a hippo, once you can call that out and make it safe to talk about it, um, it's really helpful. One thing we actually did with them, I don't know if you're familiar with this gentleman, Tom Fishburne, he goes by the Marketoonist. Um, he's great. So he does like kind of corporate cartoons. We worked with him to kind of bring some humor to these blockers. Like we had one that was... Um, an org chart, and we we're saying, let's make decisions made by data, not the hippos. You know, and there was an org chart and the decision was the most senior person. And this senior guy was like, I don't get the joke. And the rest of the group was like, it's because it's you. It's <laughs> so like, okay. Um, so humor can be helpful to surface and identify some of those blockers. Oh, that's that's cool. We we um we started putting these little pink elephants in our meeting rooms where people can hold up and it was for kind of a different thing but it's just a, it, you know it's a fun way for someone to grab that and make a humorous situation you know to so, so that the, the the meetings stay light so so don't be a hippo that could end up being the the title of the episode we'll see that's a contender as of, as of right now in my world 
you know, when I, when I get asked about innovation, a lot of what, what we're doing is talking about best practices and processes. And the, the question I, I get is, well, how do you make your culture always want to be striving for the new best practice instead of just accepting the way things have been done? So any tips on how to make this a bottoms up kind of thing? Yeah, I like that. I think it depends on the organization. At NSI, we have a lot of people with a lot of ideas. We're not, we're not so into the standard operating procedures. It's like, we should, maybe there's the thing of too much curiosity. But I think if organizations can, um, just shine a light on this and bring some attention and say, um, I think I was listening in your podcast episode where you were talking about starting with the first P. Was it purpose or the context? Like, why are we doing this? Oh, the profile of the business. The profile the, of, yeah, the business. The of the exactly. business. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can come back to that mission, mission, vision, purpose, and say, here's where innovation fits in. So help people see the connection. Um, and then run them through something like in the book, in chapter four, we talk about this idea of a culture sprint. Where I got excited listening to your podcast, though, was okay, so we'll get to the beans of this idea of the interventions to get people to try these behaviors, but we want them to be trackable. We want to make it easy for people to do. And that's where the light bulb was going off for me around, you know, this is where something like Trainual could really help create and, and foster a culture of innovation. Did you want to tell us more about the culture sprints and, and how to how to make those work? Yeah, sure. Um, so with those five behaviors, and we say those are the desired behaviors, um, we kind of start with, okay, here's what we strive to do. And then we say, as we talked about, what are those blockers? What gets in the way? And then we have, the, that's a very cathartic experience. And what's interesting about the blockers is you get people from different parts of the organization and they say, oh, you feel that too? That's how I feel. Oh, I didn't know you were like that. It's just this like moment of, let's call it release, <laughs> um, which oftentimes I think people are afraid of being negative. But then you say, okay, now we're going to do some solutioning. Right. So how are we going to encourage that behavior, let's say, of curiosity? How are we going to overcome that blocker? And what we use is we borrow from the field of behavioral economics and you know all the writings around nudges. Oftentimes it applies more in our personal life, like how to get to the gym or eat healthier, but bring it into an organizational context. So we say, um, what are some of those behavior enablers? So those are direct ways to encourage the behavior. It could be a checklist, for example. And then we say, what are those artifacts and nudges, the indirect ways? It might be your pink elephant, right? So just like that visual reminder or the hippo um, to encourage people to live that behavior and overcome that blocker. Um, and to do that in a systematic way where you might be launching lots of different beans and you say, um, okay, here's the behavior that we're looking to do. Here's the blocker we're looking to overcome and you track it, right? So you say, oh, is this actually helping us make progress here? Um, and we've done this with a bunch of organizations. We have 101 examples of these beans in the book that we encourage people to, you know, borrow, leverage. Um, we say, um, adapt, don't just adopt. So look through it for inspiration and then make it your own. 
So you, you've been kind of defining this as we've gone, but beans, B-E-A-N, yes. is behavior enablers, artifacts, and nudges. And so so these are kind of like the the toolkits to innovate on a particular area of the business, right? So they're, they're the um, kind of the tool to help you do that behavior over and over again. So if in your business, you want people um, asking what if, or being curious, challenging the status quo, then you could put in place a bean that will help you to see that behavior um, show up more on your team. Yeah, very cool. So is there a, 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 a possibility of, of bean overload? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like trying to solve too many things at once. How, how do you go about uh, employing these? I love that question. And I think there definitely is. So I think you want to start with, you know, let's go big, let's brainstorm, but then let's tie it back and say, okay, um, what are the experiments that we want to run? What are some things that we might do top down, like one or two, for example? Um, one of the things that DBS did is they had what's called their culture radar. So they said, here's where we're running experiments and teams. If they go well, then we'll move it up to like the department level. If that goes well, then we'll move it up to, you know, the division or company wide. Um, I'll just give you an example of one from there, which was more of like a top down. So as they were saying, we want to move from being a stodgy old bank to being, um, they referred to themselves as damn bloody slow. And they said, we want to be a startup. We want everyone to be a startup. And you're like, that's a huge gap, right? So how's that going to work? What Paul discovered... And for context, can you share how, how many employees do they I have? think that was, it's about 28,000, yeah. So. 28,000. All right. So think of a 28,000 person company wanting to be a startup. All and right. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what Paul discovered when they did this whole thing, they said, we want more um, equal share voice collaboration. One of their biggest blockers is their meeting culture. Just terrible culture, right? Like start late, only the senior person talks, like no decisions made. And Paul was almost sad. He's like, that's such a mundane thing to focus on. But they focused on it. They brought in this bean called Mojo, again, another acronym, but meeting owner, joyful observer. Um, and they have little cards, little reminders in the meeting room. And I can tell you because I've been there, they do this in every meeting. So there's always a meeting owner who's responsible for the agenda, making sure it starts and ends on time, um, that there's equal share of voice. And then there's a joyful observer. So if you're the joyful observer, you're looking to me and saying, mm, is Natalie really doing these things and taking some notes? And at the end of the meeting, you give me feedback in front of everybody else. Did a great job here, could do more here. So if you think about it, the, the behavior enabler is that checklist of things to do. The artifact and the nudge is like the little card. And also I know you're gonna give me feedback in front of everybody. And then the stories kind of went around the organization of where the CEO got feedback and they saw their engagement scores, especially when it came to collaboration, feeling heard, um, go up. Um, and it's, it's been really successful for them. So that's an example of like a top down one that tackles, I think a problem a lot of companies have bad meetings. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, when I read that, I sent it to our chief of staff and I was like, we need some mojo. Nice. <laughs> We're gonna, so I'll let you know how our meetings improve. Great. Another <laughs> contender for the uh, title. <laughs> yeah, more mojo. All right. Hippos and mojo.
This is just keeps getting better. So you also talk about be in storming, which it sounds like that was the process of figuring out, you know, how to how to make these things work is is anything else to share tips around that? Um, so I would say one of the things I think this actually ties nicely with some of the kind of your core principles is, you know, how do you make a bean better? How do you boost it? So kind of the checklist is try to make it as simple as possible. Um, try to make it practical. So just really easy for people to put into place, um, find ways to reinforce it, organizational consistent, uh, that it's organizationally consistent. It makes sense, right? So um, you can't just what works in one organization and copy and paste it into yours, but that doesn't mean you can't start with them to get some ideas. And then the important one, which is hard to do, but so important is having some metrics um, and making it trackable, like you said, so you don't get the bean overload. We, so we have a few core values that we tie to being innovated, you know, and having autonomy and ownership in the company. And, you know, we, some of the things that we've done are just, you know, the emojis that represent those and like, you know, giving people praise throughout the day on, on Slack or something and the awards that we give out at our all hands meetings. And so are we thinking about that in the right way in terms of how to enforce the, the innovation culture? Awards are a great example. The badges are really good. And you could even think about, so two things. One is maybe saying, okay, what do those badges do? What are they helping us do more? They're kind of encouraging people to feel empowered or we're, you know, applauding the collaboration. Um, and then the second thing is you might want to even bring this process to bring some of your folks along to create new ones of these, right? As you're thinking about what will it take for you all to be successful in the future? What behaviors do you need to see from everybody? Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, we'll have to do some beanstorming at our next uh, retreat. I'll bring that up. Um, okay, so uh, you also had some some really cool suggestions for icebreakers, and uh, maybe these are some practical takeaways that people can use in their businesses to be a little bit more collaborative and to you know start meetings off right. But do you mind sharing a couple of those examples? I'll share one of my favorite. I don't think you went through our boot camp, did you? But so. One of the things that we do with our bootcamp is, and I borrowed this from a client, is I have everybody send ahead of time um, their favorite song and artist, but I don't tell them why I'm going to use it. And a lot of people think it's for karaoke, so I shouldn't do that because poor new hires are worried. Um, but then what I do is I just make a playlist. And throughout our four seven day training, we'll play the song. Um, and so people have to guess, you know, whose song is that? So they guess your song. And then you would just share a little bit about yourself, like why that song is special to you. Um, and it's just a great way for people to connect. And then the artifact that you get out of it is like a very odd <laughs> playlist with lots of different things on it. But it makes you think of everybody who was there. Oh, that's great. Okay. I love it. Uh, we'll have to do that. We can do that at our retreat too, I guess. Just ask everybody's favorite songs. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. I've, I've done it at mastermind kind of groups where I go away with a group of people where we each suggest a few songs and then you kind of play a game of trying to guess whose song is playing and you only get two guesses and then you're out and whoever wins at the end is, is, is so it's kind of a, adds a I little like, element of competition. Like the Another thing we've done recently, a lot of companies I think have done this in the pandemic, but 
I have a slide at the beginning of a session that says like, what's your mood today? And we have baby Yoda, we have dogs, we have Ben Affleck with like iced coffee. We have like nine pictures of him. But just to start the meeting where people say, oh yeah, I feel like a three or a two. And it just kind of gets everyone focused and it's kind of lighthearted. That's cool. Well, I, w- I want to shift a little bit because your your role with Innosite today is, of course, you know, uh, facilitating learning, helping with onboarding, and and uh, w- w- which is something that you know we we preach a lot about. And so I'm curious, you know, how have you or how, what do you do for onboarding new cohorts of employees to make them feel like innovation is part of our culture here at Innosite? Oh. Um. Yeah, it's, I think you mentioned this in your podcast too. It's fresh off my mind. Like I absolutely love when new people join because they see things that I don't see anymore. Like they remind me, oh gosh, that's why I'm here. They remind me just like how cool this job is. Um, so some of the things that we do and that I've really learned is we make the boot camp, we, we have them do an actual case. Um, we have them work in teams that really feels like this is what it will be like when you get on a project. We use real projects. The other thing, and it's funny, you never know if people think these things are silly or they love them. I've learned they love them, but we have, um, other consultants role play the like clients or do mock interviews. Um, so we give them practice. One of the things, so I got certified as an executive coach. And when you do a coaching program, you always have like coach, client, and observer. So I like to set up the training so that there is always this coach, client, observer situation going on where everybody is learning from each other. Um, and it's really important. One thing we say at the beginning and throughout is you know, we have our insight values, things like humility, intellectual curiosity, impact. And we want people to see those and how we're all showing up in the training. And we're very explicit about that. Um, so hopefully that is what people actually experience. Well, I wish I got a chance to go through the boot camp, uh, boot camp 15 years ago. I feel like it was, uh, you know, just I, I, I just show up and, and, and listen and sit around and hope I'm, hope, hope I just can soak in all the brilliance well, around maybe me. Maybe <laughs> you can come as a, you know, alumni speaker or something. I think people would really enjoy that. So we can, uh, we'll have to follow up on that. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. All right. That sounds great. Well, your book is awesome. So many practical tools in here. So eat, sleep, innovate. Everybody's got to check this out. Her co-authors are incredible as well. But Natalie, where where can people go if they want to follow along with all the content related to this? I know you already mentioned the toolkit. So yes. maybe just give them a place to go one more time. Sure. Um, so eatsleepinnovate.com has lots of resources there. We have the self-assessment. We also have some videos of conversations we've done with clients and companies who are featured in the book. So highly recommend those. And we have some fun videos too. Um, And then I'm happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. All right. So look for Natalie on LinkedIn, check out eatsleepinnovate.com and look at the toolbox that they have uh, for uh, implementing some of this in your business. Start with that assessment. I think that's a great idea just to figure out where you're at today. And I will be sharing my updates as we, you know, introduce the mojo and don't be hippos and, uh, you know, just sprout beans left and right around here at Trainual. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to reconnect. Really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to Organize Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe 
or leave a review and share it with anyone in your network that you think could use the information. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on social at Chris Ronzio on all platforms, and you can find Trainual at Trainual, just like a training manual. We'll see you next time.